0: Spoken. Oh, this is the way. Well, hey, everybody. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) You said I have spoken, and it took
1: me like five minutes to say, Oh, this is the way.
0: (laughs) Podcasting, like Like bounty hunting, hunting, is a complicated complicated profession. They said we were coming. They said we were the best in the Parsec. They must be suffering from delusions of grandeur. The Journey Into Podcast is proud to present this journey into a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. A journey into Star Wars. everybody surprise we're back i'm out of it for a little while everybody gets delusions of grandeur with another delusions of grandeur episode uh pretty quick after the the last one so we're uh we're getting back into into form i guess (laughs) at least mandalorian season form but yeah there's a lot to talk about and uh well i guess to start off correctly and introduce ourselves uh my name is marshall latham and I'm Rich Outfield, and today we're, I think we have two
1: items on the agenda, and many, 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 <laughs> many sub-items.
0: Yes. Yeah, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about uh, was the uh, all the news that came out of Star Wars Celebration in London. But, since we recorded last, there's been several more episodes of The Mandalorian, so we should talk about some of that stuff, too.
1: If you had your druthers which is a very obscure Star Wars alien, would you have just wait until Mandalorian Season 3 is over and talk about that?
0: Well, I kind of assumed that's what would happen because you know there's only two episodes left. And uh, by the time this comes out, the season will be over. So I wasn't sure. But at the same time, instead of covering all six of the episodes that we hadn't covered, we'll only have to talk about two when we talk about the the end of the season. So that'll be good.
1: Well, there's really one episode I wanted to talk about, and if you would rather wait, that's fine. But my gut tells me we've got enough for two episodes right now. Uh, Enough conversation worth
0: of two episodes. Yeah, that's true. So we could just see how it goes and uh, split it off at some point if we need to.
1: Right. Well, I don't want to keep you up too late. I always feel bad because you're up when the sun comes (laughs) up. And I think as the weather gets warmer, the sun comes up earlier. It does. And earlier and earlier and earlier. And so it's just even less sleep for you now. But yeah, there, there were three episodes since the last episode we talked about, which was The Convert. Yes. And at the end of that episode, we wondered, is bo really converted? Is she pretending? Is, does she have her own reasons for going along with this stuff? And um, over the next three episodes, I don't think we got any indication that she wasn't legit. She really did have a religious conversion in a way and has totally come over to the the side of Dinjarin. You know what I mean? I, yeah, in I, the armor. I, years ago, when we did the the finale of season two, and it was you and me talking, I said, would they dare have Bo-Katan, Kryze be a a villain, a, an antagonist, for Mando to fight? And you said, well, I'm not sure, but it looks like maybe that's where they're going with this whole, you know, Moff Gideon is mine, I need the Darksaber, and then Moff Gideon just being thrilled that she didn't get what she wanted, because now those two were going to have to fight. Exactly. I, I have to admit, I felt like that's where this was. This season was probably going. The way they introduced her, was it in the first episode? Or I the think second it was episode? the first
0: episode, just that first uh, confrontation between the two of them.
1: Yeah, I, t- I talked about that. She's just sitting on the throne. She's not even playing on her smartphone or anything. She's just staring at the <laughs> walls. And... She says, you know, everybody uh, betray... uh, Everybody betray me. You're tearing me apart, Mando, she said. (laughs) She had been abandoned by her people because she failed to get the Darksaber. And, like, her whole point of life was to reclaim Mandalore, the planet, to, to re... I don't know if she wanted to retake the throne necessarily, as much as to go back there and say, this is our world again. And then she seemed to have just lost all of her mojo, all of her animus, you know? Yeah. But that then in the second episode, Mando is nearly killed, and Grogu comes and sort of recruits her. She saves Mando. She, has, she sees the Mythosaur. In the third episode, she goes and essentially joins the covert of, of the armorer. Yeah. Uh, you know, she has also bathed in the living waters and I thought, well, what does she have something, some card up her sleeve that she has not yet played?
0: It doesn't seem like it.
1: No, I was really surprised by that.
0: No, I did. I felt the same way. I thought, well, there's gotta be more to it. Cause there was two things that I figured was set up by the last, well, more so by the book of Boba Fett episodes where Mando was was the headliner, so he had to redeem himself by going to Mandalore and bathing in the waters, and there was going to be this confrontation with Bo Katan with and the dark saber, you know. So I thought, okay, those two things, that's going to drive the season. That's you know, that'll be the whole season to deal with that kind of stuff. And nope, within two episodes. He's already redeemed himself, I guess, three episodes. He's already redeemed himself and bathed in the waters and proven his worth, and so is Bo-Katan. And then, uh, yeah, now we've we've had three more episodes and there's been a lot more development that uh, seems to be driving to a different conflict to finish off the season. You know, there's been hints and things like that, but I still don't know what's coming in these last two episodes. So I guess that's a good thing that we're still kind of waiting to see what when the hammer falls, when the shoe drops, (laughs) that kind of thing. Well, I'm right with you,
1: where I have no idea where it's going. There have been a bunch of people that have criticized this season and said the show has lost its way. And I think one of the big stumbling blocks for a lot of people was that episode that spent the majority of the show on Coruscant with Dr. Pershing. yeah. Because it comes out of nowhere, and then, as we said in the last episode, it doesn't cut back to Mando to remind you that other things are happening. It's all on Coruscant. It's it's as though this is a different show now, and these are the protagonists of the show, or the protagonist and and antagonist. And it's not until poor Dr. Pershing has been mind-flayed that it cuts (laughs) back to
0: Mando and Bo-Katan. They just cap the episode, you know, they're at the beginning and they're at the end. But like you said, the rest of it belonged to Pershing and Aliyah Kane.
1: Oh, that's her name. Yeah, I never have learned that. I felt like, no, they have to be going somewhere. The fact that they did it this way must be for a reason. But then we never see Dr. Pershing or he's ever mentioned again. And I thought, oh, shoot, what... Were those people that complained about the episode right? The The next episode is The Foundling, and they did a remarkable thing in this episode, and you you think you know what I'm about to say, but you're not right. <laughs> the remarkable thing they did in this episode was they made me like Bo-Katan Kryze, Oh. And that is a character I have never liked from the moment we saw her, and I always... Asked my cousin, who watches the show with me, is it because I don't like the actress, or are we genuinely not meant to like Bo Katan? And I've asked you that before too, because you watched her on the Clone Wars. Yeah. In this episode, the chi- there's a child that is stolen, a a, a little kid Mandalorian. It's uh, Jimmy Kimmel's nephew, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, I heard uh, that. It's yeah. taken
1: by a like by some kind of giant bird creature and yeah, uh, Paz Vizla's son. And yeah, it's revealed that it's Paz Vizla's son. And I wonder why they didn't reveal that at the beginning. Why they wait until the end to reveal that. Yeah. But she sort of leads the the team that's going to go retrieve this this kid. And there's a clicking a t- ticking rather clock because the the bird creature what would you call this thing?
0: Oh, like a dragon pterodactyl or something like that.
1: I like that. The dragon pterodactyl has taken people before and it feeds them to its offspring. She leads this team and she is able to rescue this child and destroy the monster or kill the monster or whatever. And it's, it's a selfless act. It's just a hero doing hero things. And I thought, you know what? I like Bo-Katan all of a sudden.
0: Yeah. That really surprised me. I, I thought maybe it was the, the swing in her step that did it for you. <laughs> Have you noticed that she kind of sashays as she walks in her Mandalorian uniform? <laughs> you know, I think I did notice that in the most
1: recent episode. Yeah. She walks as though there is music playing and she's sort of moving to the beat of the music. Yeah. Anyway, that episode was called The Foundling, and what you thought I was going to talk about was there is a flashback to when Grogu was in the Jedi Temple, and why don't you talk a little bit about
0: that? Yeah, so similar to Din Djarin, you know, when the armorer was making him some new armor or, you know, fixing the armor that he had back in the first season, he flashed back to when he was a kid, and the, the Separatist droids were destroying his town and had killed his parents or whatever and so you kind of understood where he came from but then the Mandalorian saved him so in a similar fashion while all the Mandalorians are out trying to save Paz Vizla's son Grogu stays behind in the armorer says hey why don't you come with me into the cave here and she talks to him and she makes him a little piece like a chest plate for his his armor and while she's pounding and and making this uh, piece of armor for him he starts to flash back to his youth or beginnings and we see that he was in and i think we knew this that he was in the temple when order 66 came down and the clones and anakin were attacking the jedi temple and many of the jedi were, were trying to save well save all the younglings but we see it from grogu's point of view and the last Jedi that actually saves him from the temple is, oh, I forgot his name. Do you have his name? I do. It's
1: Kelleran Beck. But hey, hey, Kel- hey, when you edit this episode, cut out that I'm telling you what his name is so it sounds like you knew it, okay? Oh,
0: well, actually, I, I won't be... So there. so to just start again from that sentence. And- okay. So the Jedi that saves him from the temple is called Kelleran Beck. And I didn't recognize that name at all, but there was something familiar to me about the actor that played Kalarin Beck. And so we see him, you know, fight off clones. Fortunately, we didn't see Anakin coming in and trying to kill Grogu. I was really worried they were going to throw that in there, but they didn't, which was good. And uh, why were you worried about that? I just thought that would have taken the focus off of it that everybody. Oh, guest appearance by.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Hayden Christensen, you know. I
1: was worried that you were worried that it would tarnish Anakin Skywalker's mystique. Oh, no. To know that he was willing to kill an infant.
0: No, we already knew that he had killed the (laughs) youngling. But no, I just thought, yeah, it would have been a de-aged version of Hayden Christensen, which we already saw that in the uh, Obi-Wan show. Um, so this Keller and Beck you know, gets him into a speeder and they take off, but they're chased by clones. And he says he has some some guys that'll help him out. And so they end up going to this other spaceship and there's a bunch of uh, Senate guards there. And they fight off the clones while Keller and Beck and Grogu get in the spaceship and take off. And they're able to get to hyperspace and, and be saved. It wasn't until the end of the episode as I was watching the credits that I saw who Keller and Beck was. <laughs> and I can't think of his name either. <laughs> well, it's
1: Ahmed Best, but again, just cut out the part where I tell you. Yes. We want people to think you're super
0: smart, okay? Okay, but I I think you'll be doing so. That. So Ahmed Best. Yes, Ahmed Best, okay. So yeah, so I didn't know until the end of the episode when I was looking at the credits that Ahmed Best was the person who played Keller and Beck. And, of course, I know that he played Jar Jar Binks in the uh, first two prequel movies. He was infamous for that and had been kind of abused and, and criticized by everybody for that performance. You know, it's not his fault. He was just doing a job. So it was kind of cool to see him come back as a character, as a Jedi in this. And apparently, he, uh, this Keller and Beck character was in the, uh, they did like a kid's reality show, uh, something about the Jedi Temple challenge or something like that uh, a couple years ago. And he was one of the Jedi in that show that helped them and led them, which I, I mean, I knew there was a show out there, but I had no idea about Keller and Beck or Ahmed Best or anybody else. Yeah. So that was kind of a, in that flashback, we get to see what happened to Grogu during order 66 and how he survived. But it also caused some questions about that because who, why are the Senate guards fighting off the uh, clone troopers? Well, see, and I... uh, who was the, the senator that is helping them? <laughs> and some oh, people. see, have...
1: I thought that those were Naboo guards.
0: So why is Naboo involved in this? <laughs> and some people have speculated that, that Jar Jar Binks is still going to be involved somehow in uh, aiding Grogu.
1: Oh, because he's a senator from Naboo. Right. At that time, even though we didn't see him. You know that, that deleted scene where Mon Mothma meets with Padme and Bail Organa, and they're talking about, like, something's got to be done. Was Jar Jar in that scene as one of the the senators?
0: He may have been. I know... He did overhear a conversation, and and then, and that's why he suggested supporting the uh, clone army or whatever,
1: right? But that was the movie before that, so yeah. So I just I, no, I don't
0: think Jar Jar appeared in Revenge of the Sith at all. Well, he's he's at Padme's funeral. Oh right. Did uh, Padme send somebody? You know, she went off to Mustafar, but did she send a ship over to the temple to help other Jedi or I don't know. I guess we'll find out.
1: Well, see, I th- I think that that's interesting that there's a chance for Jar Jar to have been instrumental in doing this great thing, protecting this precious child. That is interesting. A lot of people reacted very positively to Ahmed Best's appearance in this episode. Yeah, I don't A lot think- of people felt like it was redeeming, if not the character of Jar Jar Binks, but uh, then... The actor who played Jar Jar Binks, because so much of the focus, the ire of my generation, you know, of the prequels, was on Jar Jar. He was the most visible flaw in those movies, you know. But I never hated Jar Jar as much as I hated other elements of the prequels. And I never felt like Ahmed Best sucked, even if Jar Jar did, you know, it... He was an actor doing a role, and I thought he did a very good job yeah. at making a character that was well-rounded and unique and unlike anything we had heard or seen. But I understand that that he took the criticism very badly and that people are are heartless on the internet and were unable to separate the part from the actor in the same way as we saw with this sequel trilogy, where, you know, there were people that wanted to spit on the actress that played Rose Tico. Right. Or on Ray or on Finn, or, you know, any number of these characters that people... Or, or Ryan Johnson.
0: And, or Jake Lloyd, and so,
1: going all the way back. Yeah, going all the way back. I, see, Jake Lloyd was really awful in Phantom Menace. But I don't necessarily think that that is his fault. No. He... Anyway, we've talked about the prequels a lot, and I'm never going to be swayed into thinking that they are a misunderstood genius. But I feel bad for Jake Lloyd that he has never been able to get out from that shadow and, and it's haunted him, and he probably regrets having done that film. And if, if Ahmed Best felt the same way, then I, I'm sorry. And I'm glad that he had this chance to play this very visible heroic character that people have embraced or seem to have. Did did you get that same impression that people were just like, oh, thank goodness, Ahmed Best, look.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I I only heard positive about his uh, involvement in that. So that's good. And it's kind of weird to call it a redemption because he didn't do anything wrong. But I guess maybe him getting his due or uh, getting a chance to... uh, to shine outside of that role
1: yeah there you go a a second chance or a or a comeback vehicle or 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 something i like that yeah and and very briefly the next episode was called the pirate Uh, we've said all we need to say right about the foundling
0: yeah i think so yeah that we covered quite a bit there
1: well let, let me ask you one more thing though the revelation that the child that's been taken uh, by the, the, the pterodactyl bird monster, creature dragon. Should I say more words? Lizard, <laughs> yes. beast, flightless bird that somehow flies. The fact that that is Paz Vizsla's kid, you know, what does that say about the Mandalorian
0: way? Yeah, I don't know, because foundling, I thought, was not a direct relative, but somebody that you saved. You know, just like... Din and saved Grogu and somebody saved him and so I thought that was their culture and at first I kind of thought oh you know he's just calling him his son because you know he's his foundling and maybe that's still true but it really seems like there's a deeper connection there than just foundling and savior in fact the in the pirate you know we learn that uh that that really affected him so I I think it is his son and I don't I don't know what that says about the covert or the rules of the armor or wherever she's getting her, or I guess it would be death watch culture because that's where they came from, and I don't remember enough from Clone Wars to know that if that was discussed or explained
1: oh well i, I yeah, I'm curious I, I it seems like most of the Mandalorian stuff has been contradictory the stuff from the the cartoons. Yeah, But that's easily explained away that this is a religious cult that's split from the regular Mandalorians we've seen in other entertainment.
0: Yeah, it seems that way in this, because in the Clone Wars, it was more of a political thing. But here, it's, it's definitely more of a kind of a religious thing.
1: You know, a complaint that I've had about the prequels for more than 20 years now is this asinine idea that the Jedi can't have families that the Jedi can't get married and have children because, you know, it's like if the midi-chlorians create the force or make people able to communicate with the force, wouldn't you want these Jedi to go out and have as many children as possible so you can continue right. your group, your religion? Cause the Jedi is a religion. Moff Tarkin calls it that in Star Wars. And it never made sense to me that you would say no you are all monks <laughs> yeah because we we growing up with the star wars trilogy knew that the force runs strong in my family i have it my father has it my sister has it 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 goes through the generations you know and and so of course you would want to have a family and it, you know in the expanded universe luke And Mara Jade had a bunch of kids, and Han and Leia had a bunch of kids, and all of them had the Force. Anyhow, sorry, uh, it's it makes sense to me that religious nuts or not, the Mandalorians, it would behoove them to have families and invite those children to when they come of age to come and be part of this as well, so that they're so that they don't go extinct.
0: Yeah, and they could raise them to understand the force and not leave it to chance, and hopefully prevent them from joining the dark side. Right? That's what they would want.
1: Anyway, it's it. It was just, Lucas needed an excuse for Anakin and Padme to be star-crossed lovers, and so he created that when Episode Two came about. But anyhow, that's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> I wanted to talk about Episode 12, Was it five? Yeah. Episode five. The pirate, because I loved this episode. I, I loved the pirate episode. And part of it was just things started to come together and there was really cool action. And we got to see the Mandalorians be heroic and we got space battles and we got to see them all work as a team with like planning and leadership and cool fun violence Basically, the, the plot of that episode is this pirate king. Do you know his name?
0: <laughs> I know I've forgotten his name.
1: Well, but he's the guy that looks like Swamp Thing, he's the uh Sigmoid, the sea monster. Uh, he invades Navarro, which is where Grief Karga is, and I, I guess it's because they killed those his bounty hunters, right? The, the guys that came down on the, the planet and were making trouble yep and so Grief Karga asks the new republic for help and and it's there's this really fun scene at the very beginning where they get this message, and there's all these x- wing pilots in a bar.
0: yeah, that was cool.
1: Uh, and they're different aliens, but they're all wearing like the orange jumpsuits that we have come to associate with pilots. and one one of the guys in this bar, is Zeb Aurelius from the Star Wars Rebels show. Yeah. He looks excellent. <laughs> he he, to- he he didn't look overly CG. He didn't look like a bad puppet. He looked exactly like... Like I remembered Zeb
0: on the cartoon only brought to life. No, they did a great job, and they didn't... I mean, it was obvious to people who, who had known him from Rebels, but they didn't, like, call great attention to it. He just comes over and talks to... Uh, uh, was it Captain Tiva or Teva? I can't remember how they pronounce that. But the the main X wing pilot we've seen, and he just talks to him briefly. Um, but yeah, you recognize the way he looks, you recognize his voice. You're like, "Hey, that's Zeb." <laughs> can't believe it. But they didn't sit there and make him critical to the episode. He just he was one of the Rangers or whatever. So that was kind of cool. Okay,
1: so go ahead and explain
0: what. Is it Captain
1: Teva? Does he have a, a rank? I think they call him Captain at one point. Okay, yeah, go on on that, on what happens with Captain Teva.
0: Well, uh, Grief Karga, like you said, sends out a message to Teva. You know, he says, hey, you know, you said if, if I need anything from the New Republic, let me know. I really need your help. And so he goes to, I guess, Coruscant, or he goes to some headquarters area to uh, to get Yeah, help. it's got
1: to be Coruscant. Because of who shows up
0: there. Oh, that's right. You're right. And so yeah, he wants to commission a, a force to go help Navarro. And Tim Meadows happens to be the uh, the guy that's running the the outfit. And and once again, the New Republic looks very disorganized. Looks drowned in in uh, bureaucracy and just really not having a handle on on the government and the the dealings of everything and and he's like i don't have enough people to send and uh captain tiva's you know pitching his uh the need for this and then who shows up but uh elia kane (laughs) and did you have to look that up you know that name i had to think about it for a minute but no yes i know the. i can't think of the actress's name but i've got the character's name in my head
1: katie o'brien that's right. <laughs> yeah, she sticks her head in. Oh, it was it was pretty rough, dude. Because he's trying to uh, sway this pencil pusher, essentially. Yeah. To, hey, let's allocate some resources for these guys that need our help. And she sticks her head in and she's like, well, actually, Navarro is not part of the New Republic. It's a crappy world. And... <laughs> And Tim Meadows is just like, oh, that's right. It is rather crappy. (laughs) And and I felt bad because I'm not sure if at this point we have seen the destruction on Navarro or if that comes later. But there's this great big ship that just goes over like the settlement and just starts firing on like homes and businesses. And it's it's rough. It's sad Because we have sort of learned to like this community. And we have definitely learned to like Grief Karga. Yeah. and To to his credit, he's got like this assistant droid that says, you know, we we can evacuate you. Let's get your escape pod ready so you can leave. And he's like, no, my place is here as the leader of this community. And that, again, makes... Huge strides to us liking him as a person. yeah. He tries to get all these pe- as many people as he can out of the city and someplace safe, and the only place they can find it. It's not even a cave, but it's like some little half cave where they, they have to huddle <laughs> outside of the, the cavern or whatever, um, and then just watch their town be destroyed.
0: Yeah, really proves that you know he's not just all talk. You know he's not just trying to con this community or whatever. He's committed. He wants to build a community. He wants it to be something more, and he's not going to leave them stranded. Unlike the bureaucracy back on Coruscant, especially with Elia uh, Kane there as the spy or whatever interfering with Navarro and. Diva says, you know, he says there's something about Navarro. It's it's somehow it's it's more important than we think it is. And uh, Tim Meadows, or I guess he's he's Colonel Tuttle. I had to look that up, but he says, no, can't help him. I don't I don't have. We can't afford the forces, especially since they're not a new Republic world, which is sad because you would think they would want to encourage other systems to join the new Republic and be a part of that, but see that that's
1: shooting yourself in the foot i think it's like these guys have asked the new republic for help and if we come through then there's no chance they will turn down being part of the charter or you know whatever yeah right you know on star trek you and i watch a lot of star trek and sometimes the prime directive helps and then there are other times when it's a stumbling block But it seems like on Star Trek, they've established that if somebody asks them for help, if there's a distress call, they investigate it every chance they get, even if there's a chance that it is their enemies sending the distress call or or if it's a trap or whatever. It's just like that is a primary part of Starfleet's mission is if someone needs help, we will go there. And I think it helps new planets join the Federation because the Federation went there when they needed help. You know what I mean? It's just like the Federation is an altruistic, or most of the time, until the 21st century, the Federation was this noble, good, it was the best representation of what our species, humans, had to offer. Yeah. And I I feel like that's what the new republic should be, but twice now we've seen that the new republic is little
0: better than the empire that it replaced. Yeah, where's one mon mothma? Where's princess leia, you know? I I mean I know that they're only individuals and they can't do everything, but you think, you know, they they'd be trying to rein in on this and and trying to set this up for success but i guess when it gets to that point of being so big you know you can only do so much i guess so but again it reminded me
1: of andor and the bureaucracy of the empire in that yeah this tim meadows part could have been one of those guys that has just tons of paperwork to do and no time to discuss whether, you know, it's morally just or not. It's just like, hey, we got these rules and we got to obey them because, you know, it's for the greater good. How can this be for the greater, good? the greater good? Shut it. I feel like they are intentionally showing cracks in the new republic right here at the very beginning at the
0: birth of the new republic. Well, it, to be honest, I think what they're trying to do is is show how the uh, first order was able to survive, I guess, because at the at the end of Return of the Jedi, the Empire is defeated and everything's won. Then all of a sudden, at the beginning of of uh, Force Awakens, they're all back. You know, the New Order is there with new stormtroopers and new ships, and everything's back to normal. It's just uh, now that the New Republic is is in charge. All that to say, I th- I think that's what they're trying to do with the Mandalorian. Say hey, we need to show how the First Order came to be. We need to show why it was so easy to take over the New Republic or something like that. But I could be wrong. Well,
1: if that's where they're going, then I wonder how much that bothers people that hate the sequel trilogy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's like constant reminders of, of this thing that you hate. Just welcome to my world, guys. Every time there is a battle droid or a, you know, the word Sith. Anyhow, to, to make a long story short, the New Republic is no help. But this guy, Captain Tiva, goes to uh, Lake Powell, Utah <laughs> and he tracks down the Mandalorians because R5-D4, the astromech droid that Mando is using, was part of the Rebel Alliance. I, th- I think they actually say that. Uh, and he's got like a homing beacon on him, or R five D four sent a message. I, I can't remember it, which it was, but he is able to go there. Well,
0: I think he referred to R five D four as a as an old friend or an old comrade or something like that. So they must have served together somehow.
1: Anyhow, he makes the the uh, the case that Grief Karga is in trouble, and. Uh, the New Republic is not able to help. Will you do this? And then, and in, then he leaves. And we get this scene where I think there's discussion. that Grief Karga was part of the group that fought the Mandalorians on Navarro when they were living in the sewers. Right. When they were hiding. And so we owe this guy nothing. You know, or this guy is our enemy. And Din Djarin, he makes the case that Karga is a good man. And that he had been misled, or you know, he was, it w- he was in over his head, or whatever, when you guys fought him. And does he say, "Come and help me save this planet," or does he say, "I am going, and if you want to go, you can come too"?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's more the case. He said, "Well, I I'm going to go, and I plead with you to join me, but I'm I'm going." And I thought it was really cool that in this covert society. When they're at one of these meetings, who's ever holding the hammer or whatever tool that the armorer there then they speak. And if somebody else wants to speak, they have to go and uh, get the hammer and say their piece. So it's, I thought that was kind of cool. And so, yeah, so now it's Paz Vizla's turn to uh, state his case. And as he starts, you know, he talks about Grief Karga. And how he wasn't good to them, and they fought against them, and you know how little Dinjarin has what value he's brought to them, or what you know. So it sounds like (laughs) he's arguing against Dinjarin, but then he turns it around and he says, "But Dinjarin saved my son when he was taken by the dragon raptor pterodactyl." And he also praises Bo-Katan, that she is a true warrior and she led the charge to save his son. So he says, I think we should join them. And I think Din Djarin also explained that Grief Karga has extended an invitation for at least Din Djarin to be there and that he would probably be able to support or welcome all the, of the Mandalorians there to live in navarro and then that could be their home again it's not only that they're going to go help but they're going to go get out of the obscure caves and uh, find a home again and so that's that's what they all decide to do they're going to go save navarro and like you said once they get there they have a plan you know they're how are they going to take out the ship how are they going to take out the ground troops of these pirates they they get there and they execute their plan and they I mean it's not easy necessarily but uh, they make pretty good work of the pirates on Navarro and crash the the huge corsair ship or whatever it is that was bombarding the city and I don't think there's a pirate standing by the by the end of that episode and yeah grief Karga welcomes the Mandalorians to the planet and. That's going to be their home now. Or maybe it's going to be their home now. I think at the end of this episode is when the armorer wants to talk to bo Because when bo was was helping to get the, uh, the foundling back, she lost her little, uh, what do you call it, shoulder armor. Pauldron? Yeah, there you go. And so the armor her made her made her a new one. But I think that was in a previous episode. But anyway, she talks to her again. She tells her to take her helmet off, which I wasn't sure what to think at that point was. Was it a test? <laughs> you know, if Bo-Katan takes it off, she's like, ah, oh, I got you. You're out of here. But no, she she was making a point that Bo-Katan is in a interesting position where and I think she she says that she she walks in both worlds where she's a member of this culvert now, but she also used to lead the citizens or the, the people of Mandalore. And so bo keeps her helmet off and the armorer takes her out to all the other Mandalorians and says, you know, and they're all like, wait, wait, she's got her helmet off. This can't be. And the armorer explains, no, she walks both worlds and I'm sending her on a mission to go recruit the rest of the Mandalorian people so that we can return to Mandalore and reconstitute our, our world. So I guess they're not going to be on Navarro very long if, if that happens, but uh, that kind of sets up the events for the next episode. But yeah, a lot of stuff happened there. It was really fun, you know, learning more about the, uh, the Rangers, I guess, and Captain Tiva, and going back and seeing once again, that, uh, the New Republic isn't all we had hoped it would be, but it was interesting to see Elia Kane there again, causing trouble, and uh, you know she's up to no good in the in the New Republic, and they seem to be falling for it. So that, that was I don't know it was a really good episode, a lot of lot of good, f- fun stuff in there.
1: Yeah, one thing you didn't mention, and it's not really necessary, but the episode ends with. Uh, Captain Tiva discovers an Imperial shuttle out in oh, space, right. and it's the shuttle that was supposed to be taking Moff Gideon to his his trial for war crimes, right? Or after the trial, and it's been attacked, and the crew inside are dead. Then I feel like they they found Beskar in there, and so it's like, oh no the Mandalorians had something to do with this. That was the impression I got from it. I've only seen the episode once. Is that the impression you got?
0: Yeah, like it it implied that the Mandalorians were responsible for this. At least that's how they took it. And so uh, it'll be interesting now to see how that plays in. But
1: Yeah, absolutely. The next episode is bound to resolve that and not be terrible at all. <laughs>
0: It should be. That, that's what uh, they've led us to believe. <laughs> uh,
1: so, yeah, like the most cruel Twilight Zone ending, the next episode, Chapter 22, Guns for Hire, was the worst episode of The Mandalorian I've ever seen. I, I hated it. Uh, And I've heard a lot of people say that season three has lost its way and nobody is watching and it's it's aimless. It doesn't have uh, a through line and a point to it. And I've disagreed with them. But then I saw this and I thought, oh, no. Oh, no, I've been wrong all this time and they have been right. But I'm really curious to find out what you thought about Guns for Hire. (laughs)
0: Well, now, the only reason you say that is because there was a battle droid in there, and you don't like the battle droids. So that, that is true. I don't like the battle droids. Big
1: told me that there was one of the yellow battle droids that said Roger, Roger in there, too. But I luckily, I must have slept through that part because I had no memory of a Roger, Roger. Oh, yes. I only remembered the big, ugly, badly designed Episode 2 battle droids. Yeah, there
0: was also a Roger Roger. I don't think he said Roger Roger, but he did say something. Hey, you're not supposed to be here, or something like that. That doesn't come cute. Yeah, the, the... But yeah, the, this this the, was an episode of iRobot, not The Mandalorian. <laughs> we should have had Will Smith in there chasing down robots or something. Yeah, see, I didn't like iRobot
1: because I had made the mistake of reading the Asimov book. Before that movie came out, you know, I I had read it knowing that there is going to be an iRobot movie and that that can never help you enjoy a movie when you read the book before. No, (laughs) no. But yeah, I liked that Will Smith iRobot more than this episode. Definitely. Uh, You better describe it because, yeah, I, I, I don't think I can describe it without profanity.
0: Well, and to be honest, the robot stuff or the droid stuff. Some of it was cool. I liked some of it. In and of itself, it wasn't that bad. But interlaced in all of that was a bunch of other nonsense that really pulled me out of the entire world of Star Wars and The Mandalorian. And so I guess to set it up, they're going uh, do katan Do you want to
1: start with the opening sequence that has nothing to do with any of the rest of the episode?
0: Oh, yeah, I guess we could talk about that. We don't have to. Like I said, it has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. Yeah, so so we we have a uh oh what are they called? A quarron captain, woman captain of a of a ship, and she's overtaken by a bunch of Mandalorians. We get to see uh what's her name in there? Uh I can't remember. Koska Reeves. Yes. <laughs> and anyway, they uh they say, oh, we have to take your ship back. We we know you're harboring a Mon Calamarin, uh runaway or whatever. And she's like, oh, no, no. Well, it t- turns out that this Quarren captain has fallen in love. It's star-crossed lovers with this Mon Calamari. And uh, she, she kind of uh, says, okay, well, I guess you're going to have to take him. And so he gets taken. But uh, I don't know. That, that was really weird to me. And not that the fact that this uh, that was a story element but to listen to the young mon calamarin talk i'm like no he sounded just like this dweeby dude (laughs) and i like no he's got to have a like a gravelly deep voice you know he can't be (laughs) that really threw me out of it for that because mon calamarin's always kind of talk like this (laughs) But anyway, yeah, like you said, that that really had nothing to do with, with the entire story other than it set up, oh, here's this band of Mandalorians that left Bo-Katan, and now this other guy's in charge, and everybody's following him, and they're just mercenaries out there to make a buck, like uh, Boba Fett back in the day. You know, they're they're bounty hunters, essentially. I guess that establishes that for us. And then, then we're with Bocatan and Dinjarin and, and Grogu, and I guess R five D four is with them as well. And they're in Bo's ship, and they're gonna they're going to look for these mercenaries because they're the ones that she's supposed to go recruit, and uh, unite with the covert and go retake Mandalore as their home. So they get on this planet. I don't even remember the name of it. I'm not even
1: well. It's called Pleasure Fifteen but okay i didn't tell you that
0: <laughs> you know all they want to do is go talk to the the Man- mandalorians but they are kind of stuck you know with the bureaucracy or but, but it's all automated everything their transportation is automated their communication is automated and basically they have to go meet with the the leaders of the world before they can get permission to do anything or go see the Mandalorian. So they're taken to this palace, I guess. And they go to meet the leaders or the royalty of of this planet. And who do they meet but uh, Jack Black and Lizzo as the, uh, the leaders of this place. And, you know, that totally took me out. I mean, maybe they could have got away with, you know, Jack Black there as a character, but then you throw... Lizzo in there as well and it just becomes like about them about the cameo it's not about the show anymore it's about the cameo and you know Jack Black does his his thing and it just was really out of place I thought for the for the whole episode but the world itself was strange it was like a fantasy land kind of thing there was a couple of, uh, of like the frog lady there was some frog people there and and I think there were some Bith and a few, which is fine to see those aliens there. It's nice to to see them, but it was super colorful. And she was wearing this Lizzo was wearing this like like a little girl's dream outfit, you know, with purples and pinks and tutus and that that kind of thing. I don't know. And then he was this. Uh, he was what did the, they call him? Captain something. But yeah, he was this old imperial. Guy that, uh, and this this is a an independent world. They're not part of the New Republic either. They're a democracy, and um, there are some restrictions on what he can do because he used to be an Imperial. But I'm I'm going way too far into it for what it deserves. But <laughs> they they coerce Mando and Bo to help them get rid that they, they have a problem with their droids and that this whole society is based on the droids doing everything for them. And so if the droid if they were just to get rid of the droids, you know, the society would fall apart. So they you know, they have to go solve a mystery now. Why are these droids going out of control and endangering people? So they take the case. <laughs> it's again, it's it's so out of not character per se, but just it's it's not what the Mandalorian is about. But yeah, so they go on this case and they meet up with the guy who's in charge of all of the droids. And I love the guy and I love that he's in a Star Wars show, but just yet another cameo with uh Christopher Lloyd playing this uh what was it, Hellgate or something like that? Commissioner Hellgate?
1: Dude, that's such a cool name, Commissioner Hellgate. Whoa. And and such a cool actor <laughs> to be playing Commissioner Hellgate. It's unfortunate, though, that Christopher Lloyd and such a cool name were wasted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, he was great. You know, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with his performance. And if he was the only person who we had encountered in this as a cameo, then, you know, I think that would have been fine. But we've already had, you know, Jack Black and Lizzo. Now we have Christopher Lloyd in here and... Uh, he says, "Well, yeah, we here's you know here's what's been going on, but I don't know anything about it. You're gonna go have to talk to the Ugnots. They have all the the case history. I don't know. I couldn't really understand that either. And so they go down to the lower levels of this kingdom and they they talk to the Ugnots. And I really liked this part because you know Bokaton's trying to be the leader of the mission and she's trying to talk to the Ugnots and they're just ignoring." Them and won't listen to anything they say, and and then Dan says, "Hey, hold on, let me try to talk to him." And so he introduces himself that he was a friend of Quill, and you know he talks to them and and you know says we're uh, shows them respect for the all the work that they do with the droids, and it says they're they're not saying that their work was shoddy; they're just trying to find out why you know the droids are having a problem and you know, he says, I have, I have spoken, you know, so he, they pay, they're paying attention to him because he's speaking their, not their language, but showing them respect and, and has a knowledge of their ways and, and that kind of thing. And I thought that was really kind of neat. You know, if you think about it, the Mandalorian or Din Djarin, really has done that throughout the whole series. He's always um, found friends and united people and been able to work with, with people to get things done whether it's the uh uh, the sand people or you know these other mandalorians or whatever else but anyway i like that part and then they they get a clue and they go to this droid bar (laughs) and you know me i love droids so i thought the droid bar was really cool it's kind of weird
1: well sorry let me interrupt i i didn't hate it but i hate that we got a missed opportunity there because it's an entire bar it's it's, it's a neon lit Mos Eisley cantina right with a droid bartender and i thought for sure that the whole reason we are seeing a droid bar is so that when these two humans walk in the bartender can say this place is for droids your kind aren't welcome here So it could be a a reversal of what we saw in the very first Star Wars. We don't serve their kind here. I thought
0: for sure, that's why it's a bar. But I was wrong. They never do that. Yeah, no, I was kind of waiting for that too. You're right. Because, you know, as soon as they walk in, the whole, everybody's quiet and they stare at the humans that come into the bar. And uh, yeah, that was a perfect opportunity for that. Um, The only thing that
1: I liked in
0: this whole episode
1: was in this bar and what was it can
0: you guess how well do you know me (laughs) i'm guessing it was like the cerulean blue uh protocol droid yeah you 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 nailed it there's the
1: most beautiful c-3po just unbelievably blue metallic bronze or it was so cool and we see it like two shots of it it doesn't do anything it's just there I was just like, wow, that thing is so cool. And when I was complaining to my cousin about the how much I hated the episode, he's like, but the blue C-3PO. Would you have traded the blue C-3PO if this episode hadn't existed?
0: <laughs>
1: and I said, man, I hated this episode so much. I would sacrifice the blue C-3PO to have never seen this episode. <laughs> uh, but yes, go ahead. They, they walk in and they're asking questions. And the bartender at one point says that he's worried that because of the problems the people in this, on this world have had with droids, that they will replace the droids with human, with biological workers. Right. And
0: that's pretty clever, actually. It's, it's kind of the opposite of what you hear. You know, in our world, everybody's worried about automation taking over all the humans' jobs, but uh, it's the opposite of the droids. On this planet. Yeah, so I, I liked that bit. I I did leave out the part that we were talking about earlier. The reason they went to this bar is because they chased down this old battle droid. Oh, I, I didn't know that had already happened. Yeah, that had already happened. They, they had chased this down because, uh, you know, Din Djarin hates droids to begin with. And so they knew that there was this one dock where the workers were, you know, something was going to happen there. And so he starts kicking these panel droids as they're trying to load stuff. And eventually one of them fights back or whatever and then runs away. And they chase him down. And this is what I was talking about. It felt like it was an iRobot movie with Will Smith in it. And eventually they're able to stop it. And they find this, like a card, you know, an electronic card that has directions to this bar. I don't know, I thought that was stupid in and of itself. You know, it's like they're trying to do a Scooby-Doo mystery with the Mandalorian. But anyway, in the bar they find out that it's these, I want to call them nanites, that's a Star Trek word, not a Star Wars word, like micro droids or something like that, that's in the oil, the Nepenthe, I think they call it, that uh, all of the droids, you know, that's what they come to the bar for, is to get this. Oil or whatever, and so these micro droids are what's causing the the problems. And then they end up tracing it back to Christopher Lloyd, that he's causing this, and I find out that he's a he's a separatist. And he says, you know, something like Count Dooku was a genius. What happens to the donkey? And uh, they tase him and take him back to Lizzo and and Jack Black and. All of that is resolved, you know, he's taken away or whatever and he's sorry for what he's done. But see, that's and, so milk toast. also. I wanted him to, be, to
1: double down and just be evil. He claimed he had this red button. And if you press this red button, it would deactivate every droid on the world. And then all of these people that live in this utopian society would have to fend for themselves. He threatens to push this button when they discover him, you know? Right. But he never has the chance, and then he's arrested, he's taken before the king and queen, and he goes, My lady, I'm sorry to have disappointed you. And so she's like, well, we exile you to our moon then, and maybe one day you'll have a chance to redeem yourself. And I didn't, I wanted him to just just be like, you're all, you've lost sight of what is to be human. And none of you are, are worth a damn. And these droids, you know, I, I wanted him to just like blow up the whole society that they have and to just be like seething with anger and resentment and hatred and be a supervillain or whatever. But instead it was just like, uh, you know, he's this old guy and he's, Darn it. No, I would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for these meddling kids. And <laughs> yeah. then goes off off world. I, I I it was so weak to to end it that way. Yeah. He was just a crotchety old guy.
0: Yeah, there was zero stakes in this whole thing. It was just a caper kind of thing and it was really out of place for anything else that's going on in the season so far other than we get three cameos you know from famous people (laughs) and i texted you the next day and i'm like and you get a mandalorian cameo and you get a mandalorian (laughs) cameo
1: there's this scene that you didn't mention where they're all playing some silly version of space croquet right and oh
0: right like alice in wonderland or something
1: yeah yeah well an ultra colorful version of alice in wonderland And Grogu has been hanging out with the queen. I think she's called the Duchess, but that's okay. Okay, whatever. The whole time. And he uses the force to help her win this game. And as a reward, she gets out a sword, like a metal sword, and taps him on the shoulders and knights him. And I was just, I was, I felt like I had fallen asleep and was having just like a really insipid dream where this was some childish spin-off made for Disney tween channel or whatever, where, you know, it's like you give Jack Black a chance to be silly. And, and, and he's like, oh, I want to have the craziest facial hair that any character has ever had on any show. And Lizzo says, I want to play with Baby Yoda and have a chance to show that I'm not an actress. And they're like, granted. And that's what <laughs> happened here. And then they say, "Okay, well, now you are free to go talk to the other Mandalorians and they get back in the train where they they were at the start of the episode and they reiterate the conversation that they had at the start of the episode. And I thought, wait, you could cut out all of this.
0: Yep, they could and just
1: have them get in the train and then get out of the train and talk to the Mandalorians. It, was, it, it didn't go anywhere. It was pointless. It, it, it's It's not setting anything up at all. It, why would you do this to me?
0: I don't know if they just thought it needed to have more fun in an episode because bad things are going to happen or whatever. But, man, it was totally out of place. It's like the, the 60s Batman when they're climbing up the wall and some famous guy sticks his head out and says, Hey, what are you doing, Batman? You know, it felt like that. Because, you know, if you think about it, we had keller and beck in the uh the one episode and then we had tim meadows in the next episode and now we got three more cameos and of course the the first two i mean fit right into the world and and were fine but uh yeah the, these other th- three i was it that everybody wants to be on the mandalorian now they want to play with grogu like you said they're friends with somebody and uh okay yeah We can do this episode, and you can both be on, or whatever. Well,
1: I, I, I hate to play Monday morning quarterback, but what if the king and queen, the duchess and the duke, had been the parents of this Mon Calamari from the opening scene, and one is voiced by Lizzo, and one is voiced by Jack Black? And that way you still get to be on the show, guys. Right. But not in this terrible, terrible way and it's linked to the the teaser the opening of this the show i it i'm not sure how something like this happens because it's uh, my cousin said did you not like it because it was like canto bite in last jedi and i said no canto bite was far better than this and he says okay the prequels then and i said no this was like the holiday special <laughs> <laughs> and it, All they had to do was sing. The holiday special doesn't feel like Star Wars at all. It, 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 it's inexplicable. It's one of those things where you're like, how could this happen? I think people have been trying to answer that question for decades, and we don't know how it could go that wrong. But that's how I felt about this episode. They get out of the train, and it's not a train. It's one of those, what do they call those tubes that goes from the mail room up into a building and you send... Yeah, like a pneumatic, a, okay. a pneumatic tube. pneumatic that's what it was. They get out of that thing and here is Axe Wolves and Koska Reeves and some other blue-clad Mandalorians, the ones that used to follow Bo-Katan. And the story suddenly picks up again. You know, it, it continues the arc of the season. But it's it's like seven or eight minutes at the end of the episode... I'm not sure how they could make such a huge mistake and not have the whole episode be about this. About Bo-Katan trying to reclaim her position as leader of this group of the Death Watch and then resolving the whole darn Darksaber arc that happens in literally 30 seconds or less of the episode... But it, but they set up this right. big conflict at the end of season two where you and I talked. We talked on this show and I said, would they dare have Bo-Katan be an antagonist? Somebody that Mando has to fight? And you said, well, th- it looks like that's where they're going with it because Moff Gideon is so thrilled that he was defeated by the Mandalorian rather than... By Bokaton, and now she's going to have to fight him because it's the only way she can be the rightful ruler of this planet. Y- you go ahead and explain what happens here. Just at the very, very end of an episode, <laughs> the important stuff is jammed in in the finale.
0: Well, just you know, so they they go to meet up with it, and they you know they're like, "What are you doing here? You don't belong here to Bo-Katan. And so she challenges. What did you say his name was? Wolf? His name old? is Axe
1: Woves, and
0: I only know that because there was a toy of him. Oh. And I
1: thought, well, why would we need a toy of this guy that did nothing on the show? But, uh, you know, <laughs> he does do stuff in... Uh, I'm not going to defend this episode much, but I will defend that Axe Wove has something to do in this episode, and they have a pretty cool fight.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed the the fight between them. I thought it was realistic and... Bo took some hits. She wasn't just this glorious person that could do everything right, but she did win in the end. And so you know the the deal was with the challenge was whoever wins becomes the leader of this troop or whatever this band of Mandalorians. But he, even after he's beaten and admits it, you know he says, you know nobody will ever follow you. You don't have the dark saber. If anything, we should be following Din Djarin because he has the you know, and he doesn't want it. Wait, wait, did,
1: did he actually say that? Cause see now I see these episodes late, late, late at night. And so sometimes I'm not really with it. Like I remembered this scene in this episode where they go to a droid morgue and they pulled out a big drawer. Like you see on (laughs) law and order or like a cop show. And it had a battle droid in it. And there's this, this morgue attendant? I, I, I honestly dreamt that that happened in this episode. No. Uh, but what I... I remembered at the end of this episode was that Axe Woves is all like racist toward Dinjaran, saying, he's not got any Mandalorian blood in him. He's just a piece of crap
0: foundling. And a zealot uses that term as well. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But he has the, the dark saber and then Like you said, the last 30 seconds, Din Djarin's like, hey, well, I was incapacitated and I had the Darksaber taken away from me and Bo picked it up and killed the person that had taken it from me. Does that count? Does that mean she can have the Darksaber? And everybody kind of looks around and, whoa, that changes everything. They look off screen at Jon Favreau and go, uh, does it? (laughs) <laughs> and then she's, she takes the Darksaber, and she's like, all right, I'm the one. I get the I get the Darksaber. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. So, you know, like like we were saying at the beginning, or yeah, I think both of us agreed that the big conflict, the whole thing that was going to happen during this season is that he was going to have to redeem himself on Mandalore, and that he was going to have to fight Bo-Katan for the Darksaber, and that would be the whole conflict. Well, nope. he bathed in the waters and was redeemed within the first two episodes and then there was no conflict between him and bo except in the first episode where she's pissy to him after that they've been best buds and uh, now she has the darksaber but yeah it it was just resolved as an afterthought at the end of this episode okay
1: so it's kind of weird I've got three questions for you and let's see if I can remember them as you answer each one I should have written them down but question number one, who has been the villain of season three? Is we it the pirate guy? Pirate... See, I thought it was going to be Bo Katan, that she was going to do a heel turn and turn out that she joined the covert so that all of them would follow her rather than Din Djarin. But that was a lie. That was, or that was a, a false assumption on my part.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it, it, I guess we've had some Imperial. Fighters, you know, they had to fight off the uh, TIE Interceptors in that one episode. So there's something going on with these old ships. And then I guess you could say Elia uh, Kane is the lurking antagonist who's up to something. I, yeah, with
1: the new she's Apollo. been in two episodes. And the only other villain I think we've seen in two episodes was the, the green pirate dude. Yeah. But he's killed, right?
0: Yeah, I would assume, yeah, his ship blew up and crashed, so he's out of the picture. So I guess it, and then, you know, somebody released Moff Gideon from his, the shuttle that was taking him to prison or whatever, so there's that out there that I'm assuming is probably going to play into the last couple episodes of this, but I've been wrong before. (laughs) No, I'm pretty sure that he'll, he'll be back for this season. So I would say the antagonist for this season has been a phantom menace. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> and you, did, you didn't you did dream that morgue segment. And that attendant might have even been another cameo that I don't know who it is.
1: Okay, well, I said that I had three questions, but I, I can only remember one of the other two. Okay. And my question for you was... So they're not pitting bo and Din Djarin against each other like I thought they were going to. Is this a potential romance subplot? Are these two perhaps getting together in a different way?
0: Perhaps. You know, kind of mom and dad uh, to Grogu kind of thing. <laughs> That's kind of what it seems like. Which is fine. I'm down with that. But uh, yeah, it's definitely not where I thought it was going. It's going to be hard if he doesn't take off his helmet, though. So, <laughs> Really, if you think about it, this season is the rise of Bo-Katan. It really doesn't have much. To, I mean, Din Djarin's there, and he's helping, and he's part of it. But it's really Bo-Katan's show this year.
1: Well, we wanted to talk about Star Wars Celebration and all the new announcements they made. But they didn't say anything about a Bo-Katan spinoff show, right? No.
0: And I think that's where some of the criticism has come from in in that this is way different than season one and two, which was all about Dinjarin and Grogu, and it was kind of, you know, Western theme, you know. This is way different than that. Season three is is more of a you could put an S on the end of the title and call it The Mandalorians, because it's it's about the covert, it's about Bo Katan. And now it's also about Soska Reeves and all these other people. So I'm not disappointed in the season as a whole. It is different. And I did like seasons one and two probably better than what I've seen so far. But the only episode I've really been disappointed in is this, this last one. And maybe that's because it didn't start with the something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Have they all been that? The Pirate. The Foundling, The Convert, The Minds of Mandalore, The Chalupa Supreme, and The Apostate. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, shoot, there was... I, I can't remember what the, the last question was going to be, but oh, it was a doozy. I, As I said, and I feel like I've, I've been at least a little bit restrained in my criticism of this episode, but I saw it at, you know, about two in the morning, and then I came home... And instead of going to sleep, I got on Twitter to see what other people were saying. Okay. <laughs> and there was, an, there was an image of Lizzo and Grogu and Jack Black. And somebody posted that image and then said, I asked that chat GPT AI to imagine Lizzo and Jack Black if they were on Star Wars. And this is what it created. And there were lots of like, (laughs) ha-ha kind of things. But then somebody posted, and this... I don't understand Twitter yet, how something starts... Oh, it's trending? Trending. But somebody had an image from that episode with all the colors and all the silliness and all the non-Star Wars notes, and wrote, Right now, George Lucas is spinning in his grave. And it had... (laughs) hundreds of replies to it and this was at like 2 30 in the morning the night that it aired and granted a lot of the posts were oh my gosh george lucas died i didn't know this when did this happen you know kind of thing <laughs> uh, but but a lot of others were like you know either condemning the episode and praising george lucas or condemning george lucas and condemning the episode. But I what was weird is I stayed up until 3:30 reading these posts. And I felt like I was not alone, like I like I hadn't dreamt to this that the episode was this terrible. But it wasn't until I realized that there were only two more episodes in the season that I got really really angry because you know On a show like Next Generation or a regular network television show where you've got 20 episodes or 25 episodes or even like 13 or 15, you can afford to have a misstep. And okay, there was an episode that was bad. But when you're only doing eight episodes, it's unconscionable to have an episode that's this wasteful of the little amount of time that you have. And it's not like they even do a show every year anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's almost like it's the kid spin-off of of the Mandalorian or like the Saturday morning cartoon somebody got a license to do the Mandalorian like a droids episode, you know, or something like that. You know, we talked we talked a lot about George Lucas, you know, had a son, you know, had a child and you know, wanted to during the Ewok adventures, you know, he didn't want the Ewoks to die and and things like that. In the second Ewok movie. And I think didn't uh, Lucas's kid come up with some of the names for people in the prequels? Like that's where Jar Jar came from. And that's where, I don't know. That's some of the rumors I've heard. But this is like somebody took a five-year-old girl. Sorry if, if that comes off as sexist. But what would you like to see in Star Wars?
1: Oh, I'd like to see a princess or a duchess or whatever in this purple gown and chiffon and I want to see colors and croquet like Alice in Wonderland
0: you know something like that it was oh okay well let me write that down and I'll make that happen I'll, I'm going to write a Mandalorian episode with all of those things in it that, that's kind of what it felt like to me
1: <sighs> if it turns out that Jon Favreau has a six year old daughter <laughs> And she said, Dad, I don't like how violent the show is and how grim and how... Would you make an episode for me? And he's like, yeah, sure, honey, I will. If that turned out to be the case, I think I could forgive this show a little bit. I could give it some slack and say, you know, that episode wasn't made for me. It was made for Danielle Favreau, who just turned eight on the the night that this episode aired but I think we would have heard by now if that were the case right? (laughs) (laughs) okay so the last question I have for you about the episode is does Giancarlo Esposito have another show or a movie or something that he is involved in and that's why we haven't seen him this whole season he's just too busy and they'd love to have had him in every single one of these episodes but they couldn't
0: Boy, I, I don't think so. I mean, I know he's been involved in, in a lot of series before this, but I don't think he's in anything else right now. I could be wrong. He was at Star Wars Celebration, and he was all happy and saying, oh, we at the Mandalorian, we love you guys. And I was like, okay, I haven't seen you, but...
1: Well, just like that Coruscant episode would have been improved by cutting back to what Jin and bo were doing, instead of leaving it for the end of the episode, just cutting back and forth, reminding us that two th- stories are happening parallel to each other. This season would have been so much stronger if we had gotten little snippets of Moff Gideon and whatever the devil he is doing in every single episode to tease, okay, hey, this is moving towards something. just you wait guys you know he's got something up his sleeve oh you think that life is going fine now that you've got a family and now that you've been redeemed and, and all that stuff Jin no there's danger right around the corner you just don't know it yet the show would feel like it's less aimless if we had seen him over and over again doing something planning something about to do something and and we haven't, and it just it bums me out because he's a cool villain. I want to believe that there's more for him to do. But when he was defeated at the end of season two, I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess he was kind of like the client in season one who was set up as this really cool villain. Oh, nope, now he's
0: dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, along with what you're saying, even if Aliyah, we were following Elia Kane and she was doing weird things and sneaking around and then eventually at the end of the episode she goes into a room or the junkyards or whatever of Coruscant, you know, where where she led Pershing or whatever and Moff Gideon comes out. Like you said, interlaced with all the other stuff that was going on. You know, that would have been some bit of intrigue and it was leading towards something.
1: Yeah, I I don't get it. And maybe when this series season is over and we have hindsight we can say, okay, this was terrible. Or we can say, no, you know what? They, they did know what they were doing and there were clues here and here and here. But like in that Coruscant episode, they break into the decommissioned Star Destroyer just so he can get some equipment. But how much stronger would it have been if he knew the location of the last vial of Grogu's blood mm. and she worms her way into his life until he trusts her enough to say, yeah, oh, we got to get in there and get that before this ship is destroyed or taken apart. And then once she has the vial of Grogu's blood, she puts him in the Mind Flayer or whatever. His his usefulness has come to an end. And we're like, what does she want that vial for? And then in the next episode, she presents the vial to someone And maybe we hear Giancarlo Despedizito's voice, or maybe we don't, we don't know who it is. And then in the episode after that, it's like, okay, this is what we're using this blood for. It's all led to this. And then the credits roll. It it would feel like, okay, this is progressing towards something important. I'm just going on faith now that, that they have something up their sleeve That they're not just spinning their wheels. We will find out by the time this episode comes out. We will know. But it's just like, I hope that they don't let me down. I hope that it's
0: not just making it up as they go along. Yeah, or you know, they had six episodes worth of story they wanted to tell this season. And so they had to stretch it out. So they did that with those two episodes, three and six. They gave themselves some padding or something. I don't know.
1: Okay, well, if, if that turns out to be the case, then I'm sad. <laughs> because I still really, really <laughs> like this show, and I like the characters. And as I said an hour and a half ago, I even started to like Bo-Katan, which is an incredible achievement.
0: Yeah, you've, you haven't liked her from the get-go, so, so that is an achievement. I was interested in her character. I didn't really care for her in Rebels. She was kind of interesting in Clone Wars. Rebels, I didn't really like her too much, but I've liked her since she's been on this show. But I did question her motives and question if she was loyal or not or if she had something up her sleeve, but I, I don't think that's the case anymore.
1: Yeah, well, she, she got everything that she wanted, uh, and I think that they've established that the air is breathable on Mandalore, in which case, what do they need that new settlement on Navarro for? Uh, and what is this Beskar they found in the Imperial Shuttle 4? And what happened to IG-11? Why did they set that up? You know, I expected him to show up in the pirate episode and save the day, but he didn't do it. Oh, yeah. That uh, would have been cool. There are probably other things like that where it's just like, okay, you were setting something up and then it's never resolved. Why? What, what, how does this
0: happen? I, don't, I, can't, <laughs> I can't answer. I don't know.
1: I've got my fingers crossed for the next two episodes. If they were just great, then maybe I'll say, you know what? There there are some rough points in season three, but boy, those last two episodes are—they make it all worth it. I hope that that is the case.
0: I think they will pay it off pretty well at the end, or at least that's that's my hope and my anticipation. But uh, that would be good. <laughs> maybe a follow-up on a couple of your questions here. I looked at Giancarlo Esposito, and there are. Three different uh, projects that are in post-production right now. There's The Parish, The Gentleman, which are both TV series. And then I guess he's going to be in the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. So maybe that did pull him out of the production. I
1: think that Turtles movie is animated, though. So,
0: Oh, that's a voice. Yeah, you're right. Oh, he's going to be Baxter. Interesting. (laughs) Who? He's going to be Baxter, one of the criminals. Baxter Stockman
1: is like a fly guy or something like that?
0: He's kind of reminds me of Cameron Hodge from the comics. Anyway. Nerd. And then uh <laughs> John Favreau has a son and two daughters, but the youngest daughter is uh 16 or 17 now, so <laughs> we can't blame the daughter. Well Darn. Darn, yeah. Anyhow,
1: I, I I know we've talked a lot and this is episode
0: has gone long. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to. Talk again some other time about the celebration. Well, something that I'll do between then
1: and now is I'll write down some things that I want to talk about about Star Wars Celebration and things that they revealed and announcements. And, and, you know, some of them are exciting and some of them I scratch my head and say, is that ever going to happen? So these are questions for the next episode. But also, Mandalorian Season 3 will have ended. And we can do an episode, uh, a post-mortem on that. Yeah, for sure. Probably end
0: up separating those as well, but
1: we'll see. Yeah, we'd better. But uh, as always, let the people know if they have questions or things they want to talk about, how they can contact us.
0: They can go to podcast at gmail.com and send an email. I will get that. I will share that with Rish. And uh, we'd love to get questions from you or comments from you. What did you think of the cameo episode? Uh, did you like that part? It's something different that you have been waiting for <laughs> with the Mandalorian? Let us know. I just Can we stop talking about Doogie right now? And yeah, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash journey into and if you'd like to support Rish over on his podcast, The Rish Outcast, you can go to patreon.com slash Rish Outfield and get all of his episodes there. So
1: And, and also tell them the, the voicemail thing. I love the voicemail. I wish people would do it all the time.
0: Yeah, that'd be fun. We've talked about just doing a voicemail answering episode, but we have to have the questions in order for that to happen. So yes, you can go to... Seven seven j into 107 and leave us a three minute voicemail there or call back and talk as long as you want just in three minute segments
1: and then one other way that they can help support the show is if you know a way to turn a C3PO action figure into that blue droid that we saw in the terrible episode, let me know because I'll either send you a C3PO and you can do it or, you know, I have plenty of C-3PO's. I can do it myself if I know how to do it. Yeah. I'm not joking around. I love that blue C-3PO.
0: Yeah, that was that was good. And uh, we can't wait around for Hasbro to do it because they, they probably won't. Even though it'd be pretty easy for them, I would think. Agreed. <laughs> if we have an action figure of the naked C-3PO, we should have the blue C-3PO. Uh, But yeah, that'll that'll do it for this episode, everybody. And uh, thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, we'd like to hear from you. But until next time, uh, I guess, may the Force be with you.
1: This is the way. We have spoken. Uh, uh, No disintegrations. The Delusions of Grandeur podcast was produced by the Creative Commons side of the Force. The Force? Will the Force is what gives a podcast its power. It's a license created by all living shows. You can download it, share it, feel it flowing through you. But if you take credit for it, or try to sell it, then you have been seduced by the dark side, and will become more machine now than man. Or woman. Thank you, young.
0: And we would have had a a de aged -aged version. I want to say version, but I keep, it comes out as virgin. Uh,
1: You could say vision, too. Yeah. They're all similar words. (laughs)